Raw not research, real life stories. Being a parent, you you realize it it humbles you. My parents are probably saints, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when you hear the rest of the story. Anyway, (laughs) so, so, yeah, I went on this grueling trip and, and I was sleeping outdoors and I was, I was hungry. You know, I learned, I learned what hunger is and I learned what it is to be cold. And, and I, I, I wanted it, but then I realized as well, that these things aren't glorious in themselves. You know, you read stories about them and they seem romantic, but when you're in it, it's not actually that romantic, you know? <laughs> starving, <laughs> starving and being cold and sleeping out in the fields and under bridges and, I don't know, on the side of the street and, you know, hiding in places where you think you're going to be safe and yeah. scared that somebody's going to come out and chop your head off. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't actually as pleasant as I thought it was going to be. And especially being alone, that probably had a lot to do with it as well. Welcome to Inspirational Interviews, where you'll discover everyday brave hearts connecting with their truth. Find out what inspires them to do what they love, how they got here and why they never give up. Be inspired by these stories to create your beautiful world. Raw, not researched, real life stories with your host, Jen Rod. Hi guys, welcome back to Inspirational Interviews. So kicking off today with the third part of Justin's life story. Um, Yeah, as you guys have heard, who have been listening to all the stories. His story just captured me. And um, yeah, it was a coincidence that the electricity cut in the first episode, because a lot of you guys know I'm uh, currently in South Africa. And uh, that happens from time to time. The electricity cuts out. So, yeah, based on that, we just sort of went with the flow. And then, um, you know, being in lockdown, you know, you had to divide time with your husband's schedule and my schedule. And so, you know, we only had certain time frames to, you know, split agendas. And so then I just decided to do this whole um yeah, this whole conversation in, 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 in a few parts as opposed to one whole long uh, episode. So kicking on today with the third part of Justin's life story, and I'm thinking there's going to be a fourth. So stay tuned for that one as well. Um, it's just a fun, cool life story, guys. And um, yeah, go tune in with the first part and then you will um, yeah, be tuned in with his full life story and know where we're at with this. But in short, Justin is, um, yeah, he's an ordained priest, orthodox priest, and he's also an artist. So it's a very interesting and super cool combination, you know. So those of you guys of, you know, thinking about career changes or thinking, you know, what should I be, what should I be doing with my life? Well, there's all kinds of um, identities out there and there's no right identity you know the the right identity is the one that matches you and um, yeah I mean look at Justin he's an orthodox priest and he's he's an artist and what's so cool about his story is that you really just you know you really just get into the yeah just get into the the skin of of someone who's really gone out there to discover who they are you know and really made that concerted effort to go out there and be true to this feeling of um who am i and what's my truth and what's my calling in life and that's what's so cool about the story and while uh, and i always say this while you are not going to be a priest or an artist um it just mirrors the um yeah, the drive and it mirrors the the will and, the, and it mirrors the the love for self to go out there 
and to make sacrifices or to go out there and do courageous things or stupid things in some cases, you know, to discover who we are. So love the story and um, up next with, uh, with Justin Fenn, before I click into it, guys, uh, share the show on. I always say it. Um, sharing is caring. These stories change lives. I always say that. So go and share the show on with people that you know who would just benefit from hearing cool life stories. You know, play them in the background while you're in the house or, you know, while you're driving or going for a walk. It's just, it changes your, the chemistry in your body because you get out of your own head and you, yeah, you tune into someone else's life and that's so empowering. Um, if you guys need an interviewer, let me know. I help also set up many talk shows, whatever. Um, and also, uh, those of you who also want some coaching and just, you know, have someone listen to your story in its, in, in its entirety in a private capacity, of course, let me know. I do that as well. And yeah, it's just invigorating and deeply reflective to to hear yourself talk for so long. It gives you such a great perspective of your own life. So let me know if you if you need that. And I do that on Zoom as well, privately, of course. Um, uh, you can just message me via the website, inspirationalinterviews.com. Go subscribe on the website, guys. Once a week, you'll also receive a super cool life story in your mailbox. So guys, uh, without any further ado, let's give a warm cyber welcome for Justin Fenn. Before we start, I was just speaking with my sister. Yes. Um, telling her about our conversations and whatever. Yeah, and um, she said, uh, "She said, no, man, you better be careful what uh, what she publishes because you know it can really get you into trouble with the church and you know whatever your job and all that." So I thought, yeah, I mean, I don't think I said anything really that incriminating. Uh, why would you just say that? I mean, no, no, because I said to you know I, I was pretty candid about you know my whole journey through monasticism and how the church wasn't easy to get into and all the failures and all of that. Um, but I didn't really mention any you know, specific name or specific things about, you know, uh, whatever that somebody could listen to saying, oh my goodness, what a scandal. I mean, or did I, did you think of anything? No, that was no. The, the only, scandalous? the only person, I mean, look, was obviously the crazy, the crazy guy. Um, and he yeah, had, holds no value uh, in, in, you know, no, uh, I, I at don't all. Mind if he, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then the other one was just, yeah, the, the guy in the tracksuit pants, the tracks, you know, the outfits. Oh yeah. But, oh, yeah, no, but I love him anyway. Yeah. yeah, so but there was nothing offensive. And you know what I loved about your what what I have loved about your conversation is that it's just so real. It's not yeah. pretentious, it's not putting on a pretense, you know, of putting yeah. on a putting on a suit for something, you know. Yes, you yeah. you just you are you, and and you know, this is what makes religion real, you know. Yes. And 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 yeah. if you listen to my cousin's interview. Uh, Dr. Rob Stegman, you know, he's also yeah. very candid about his opinion. He's also a priest. Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, he's our age as well. And he's just written a book about, you know, really supporting gay, uh, the gay community yeah. and, 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 and supporting yeah, it yeah. in religion. And, and you know, you've, you've also yeah. got to be real, you know. And, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and if people, you know, come, you know, what, what can they do? I mean, you are ordained. I mean, I you. Mean, if, if my bishop got hold of it and I was saying, um, whatever, I don't know, you know, I was criticizing some really controversial topic, which I didn't really do because I didn't get into topics. I just told my story. <laughs> the thing is, it's like I said, the only thing that could give me give me trouble and potentially cause some uh, real harm in my life would be 
if there was some controversial topic that I was giving an opinion totally contrary to to my ruling bishop or whatever, who would say, you know, who is probably very conservative and say, oh my goodness, how could you say those things? Even if I, if, even if that's the way I think, he doesn't want uh, that that uh, view to be put out to his churches or something like that. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, the priest influences the the community he's a part of in any case, but. For the sake of harmony with everybody, I don't want to rock the boat, you know. Especially since I'm new here in the in the where where we are at the moment. So yeah, 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 sure. I, I, really, I didn't. First of all, I didn't really mention much about the church where I am right now. I spoke more about South Africa and uh, and France and whatever. Yeah, I mean, um, the you know, you've spoken. You're, you haven't been. Um, you know, but I don't listen with judging ears. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not picking out nitpicking, you know, I'm listening to your story, um, yeah. which is all about your, your, you know, your struggle and your, yeah. um, your commitment and your, your quest to, yeah. to be where you are today. And it's beautiful. And if, yeah. you know, if someone comes and says, oh, you said that, or oh, you said that, you know, I think you need to stand your ground and, and say, you know, no, let's no, be sure. real. Let's be real. You know, what are we? We're human. No, no, sure. I mean, look, if, if something happened and my bishop contested it, I, of course, would contest it back. But, but still, these people can make your life a living hell. They really can, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's the same as any boss in any job, you know. If he starts giving you grief and you really need that job, then you, you know, then you, in the end up, you end up buckling and doing whatever he says because you need to keep that uh, to keep that job, you know. So, but I mean, I don't think anything was bad. She just started to put this idea in my head, and I thought, oh, yeah, well, I don't know what I said, you know. I wasn't really trying to no. be that particularly careful. So, no, but I, I also think that if you, you know, to really have influence, I mean, and uh, you know, this is all about being true to yourself and. That why that's yeah. why your sister's gut instinct was to connect you with me because she knows my show is about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I otherwise you start. Hmm? Did I mention anything about the church where I am at the moment? I just said it's a Russian church, right? The Russian Orthodox, um, yeah. and that well, they're not really paying much. Your dad also helps you every now and then. Um, yes. Yeah which everyone knows about uh, these yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> teacher, religion, all, you know, those yeah, beautiful yeah. roles in life. Um, yeah, so, yeah. no, I mean, I I don't have yeah. anything negative in my head about where you yeah. are. Um, no, no, that's perfect. That's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm not, I'm not concerned about it then. Yeah. You know, and if my bishop in South Africa hears that I called him a big fat Greek, well, you know, <laughs> it's pretty factual. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone can disagree. <laughs> I mean, if he's upset about that, it's on a personal level and not a theological level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know, you're you're you know, you're just super real and down to earth. And um, yeah. you know, and, and on that note, like because I never do interviews in three stages like we have, just because of the way the nature of the way this conversation has rolled out with our connections and yeah. so forth. But you know, it, it was it, it, it was in my mind to to want to ask you, you know, like what is it that you really want to achieve now that you are where you are? Yeah. Okay. So, well, you know, let's, let's let's go in there and then we'll hop back yeah. into, you know, the rest of it and sort of close it off. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, yeah, I so, want to tell you basically, today I want to get through the whole story of how we got up to the monastic thing. Yes, yes. Okay. Okay, but tell good. tell me just 
start quickly with why like now that you are where you are like what is your yeah. purpose in life like what is your goal what is your mission uh well you know like i said in the previous talks it wasn't necessarily that i planned to become a priest but when i did i found you know i found a place that actually really worked very well for me and i realized that perhaps at the end of the day i did have a calling to be in this position and each priest has got his strengths and weaknesses you know um you know one priest was going to be brilliant at liturgy brilliant at doing the services and chanting really nicely but completely useless in giving a sermon you know and giving yeah. a homily and talking to people mm. um another priest is going to be the opposite to that maybe he does the liturgy terribly and people can't stand the way he chants and things but when he does a sermon when he preaches it's something beautiful and really influential so you know each priest has got his his thing and um and as i grow as a priest i'm discovering more things about myself and where my own strengths and weaknesses are and where where i feel like i want to focus more of my energy and i definitely like to talk as <laughs> as you've noticed once yeah. i get going you really can't stop you know yeah. but i do feel like i have a lot to offer people and and not just that i have um i mean i have a lot to offer people but in a real way because because I do believe, like you said, there is a lot of pretension. I do believe people say things that they think are the right things to say. And that completely blocks your connection with people. Because at the end of the day, especially when you start speaking to people one-on-one -on -one, and um, we have like a Bible study group and things, you know, people come out of their shells a little bit and start asking the questions that they're too embarrassed to ask in a, in a different setting. You realize mm -hmm. that everybody's the same, actually, all over the world. Everybody's the same. Everybody's got the same hangups. Everybody's got the same doubts and fears and questions that they want somebody who's who, you know, maybe has gone through something like that or, you know, whatever, has some kind of experience and idea about it, who can actually tell them and help them. Yeah. And I mean, look, that doesn't just go for a priest, that goes for anybody, you know, you can speak to a friend who helps you through that. But but when it comes to a priest, it's particularly people who are going through a spiritual spiritual journey, you know. And I mean, we're all on a spiritual journey at the end of the day. But for them, it's something, you know, blatantly that that's what they're mm. following. They want to follow mm. their life in the church. How can you help them yeah. answer these questions for me? You know, I've been in church all my life, but I've always had an issue with this with this thing. Why does the church say that? You know, what do you think about it? And mm. if you tell them, yeah, I disagree with it, it's a huge relief to them because they've probably disagreed with it all their lives as well. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? So, yeah. Whatever. You know what I mean? That kind of a thing. So on that front, I find I find that part of myself growing. I find it very fulfilling. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 almost a temptation as well, though, I've noticed to to kind of push it too far, because when people start to come to you and ask you things, you have to remain humble about it as well because you can start to get ideas about oh look how wonderful i am all of a sudden you know yes. once i've been put in this position where i'm in front of people people start flocking towards me you know i must be really important mm. um but and you have to try and keep your keep your wits about you and keep, yes. keep humble about it yes um but i suppose that goes for anything you know um, it's, it goes and, for every single career that I mean is being humble, yes. right? It's it's a journey of striving yeah. for purpose and meaning, but then, you know, with that we have our ego, and then within that comes achievement, which which yeah. we need to have as human beings. We need to achieve. Yeah. We need to grow, and um, and I mean recognition for these things as well is so important for human beings. Just to 
yeah. to know we're on the right track. And recognition comes from gratitude from other people and, you know, just yes. seeing that you're making a difference and making change. And then, of course, the ego comes in and that's where it gets tricky, yeah. right, is to remain humble. Yeah. But we're human, exactly. you know, and, yeah. the, you know, it's like as we, we started this whole conversation right in the beginning, talking about the energy of human beings and how some people just yeah. have an energy that like, like knocks you backwards because it's so powerful. Yeah. There are very few, yeah. few human beings like that in the world. And, and um, that, you know, I believe that that would have been a Jesus. You know what I mean? That, that, yeah. that type yeah. of energy just completely changes you know change changes people yes. just just by their energy and um so yeah this humble nature and this hum we strive to be humble i mean i i know even within myself you know i'm all constantly striving to strike that balance as well yeah well i mean at the end of the day it's a necessity because whatever influence or whatever skill you thought you had before it can be completely ruined by pride and you know mm -hmm. at the end you don't have it anymore because you yeah. just thought you were better than you actually are you know yeah you yeah. also compare yourself you know you compare yourself with other people around you all the time and and that's you know to, to a certain extent okay it can be helpful but on the other hand you need to also not judge people around you and give them the benefit of the doubt for what they are mm. you know so mm. everybody can kind of also just mind their own business to a certain extent yeah, but it's nice that you are aware and, you know, that that's also part of your journey is bowing down to that awareness and, and, and being true to it, you know? Yeah. And and then that's, so that's, let's say, the, the side of being a priest. And then on the side of being an artist, I think there's even more progression in a sense because, I mean, look, I said as well, it all goes hand in hand. It's all part of the same journey. But But as an artist developing a certain skill and a certain visual uh, literacy, let's say, you know, to become more and more visually attuned to what you're seeing and to praying with icons and things like that. I mean, I'm loving that. I don't think it can ever end. I think you just go deeper and deeper. And, you know, I always say when you when you first look at icons, you think, oh, man, how hideous. <laughs> Some yeah. of these images are just terrible. You know, why did the guy paint it like that? Clearly he can't paint. But the more you grow into it and the more you understand what's around it and start to live that that reality that that artist was living in, the ugliest ones start to come out as the most uh, powerful and beautiful ones. Yeah. But it's a whole visual development. It's a whole spiritual development to to get to that point. And, I mean, now I'm starting to paint icons where everyone's like, eee, you know, <laughs> these ones aren't so good anymore. Yeah. But for me, it's very fulfilling because it's part of what I'm growing into. Yeah. And it is actually, you know, having mentioned that now, it is a little bit difficult uh, dealing with something like that in terms of work because people don't want to buy something ugly. You know, yeah. when somebody commissions an icon, I know what they want. I know they want something very pretty and sweet and you know, sentimental to a certain extent, whereas what I really want to paint is some horrific, big-eyed, you know, <laughs> really yeah. frowned-up uh, figure. But, but I, you know, I have to know where I can push it and where I can't. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, those are the two things. And, and of course, my family, uh, you know, being a parent man, you know, I think, I mean, you know how it is. Yeah. Nothing can prepare you for that. And, and it's also, it's, it's very fulfilling, but it's, I don't know, you, it's, it's so quick that things change. The kids are going through changes all the time. You don't even know where you stand anymore in it. Yeah. And it's, it's true what they say. You look back and it seems like a blink of an eye, but I also heard a good saying where they say that the days are long, but the, the, the days are long, but the years are short. You know, when you look yeah. back, you think, oh, the years went by. But those days when you're in it with the kids, 
<laughs> it seems long. But I, I do, yeah. in hindsight, see how fulfilling it has been, you know. And I never thought, I never saw that side of myself either. You know, I didn't know that I was going to be like that. You know, I didn't know I was going to be a husband and a father. Yeah. But it happens, you know, and these are, all, these are all things that are fulfilling at the end of the day. Yeah, and I mean, what I'm hearing is just that you, you know, I think, you know, it's beautiful because you just real, uh, you know, you just a real person just, you know, traveling your journey and just constantly striving for that truth. And because you are aware of it, you're, you are staying true and close to yourself. And obviously you say, you know, we're human and we all make mistakes, etc. cetera. Um, but that's what's so lovely about your, you know, about your story is that, is that you are on this quest, you know, and that you, yeah, just real yeah. about it, you know, and, yeah. and, and I think that that's also what's so poignant about the way we start. And I won't edit it out even, you know, like yeah. what you said yeah. and your, you know, your concern about, you know, your sister saying, just be careful. You know, I think that's beautiful as well that your sister wants to protect you. And, but <laughs> no, but it's, it's stunning. And, um, you know, that's also part of life. And, um, uh, you know, you've mentioned your sister already, how she really, you know, wanted to support you when you came back so low, yeah. you know, that one time. Yeah. And, yes. um, yeah. you know, that's also, yeah, that's a stunning part of life that you have that support, you know, and you've always had that as yeah. well from your parents, from your sister. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I think that that is something that really helped, you know, you, you also talk about being a father. So I think it's so um yeah also really important in the breadth of this particular conversation that we need to just support our kids to 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 really try and be who they are you know and you said yes. that all along you said in your previous yeah. i think our second uh, episode you said you know you you were this the whole time it's like your dad said to you you know when yeah. you became ordained or what did he say to you he said now i that, understand uh, you know, yes yeah you were always a priest so we just never knew it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 So right, talk good. to us now about tell us how you got to then that that trip in India, and then we're going to close off. And uh... okay, I'm going to try not to drag it out because I mean, you know, it's also it's it's covering many years now. But I wrote actually a, a chronology, and you know, I wrote all how it, how I remember it happening because otherwise I get totally confused about it because it's all just a big jumble actually. Yeah. Um, and like I said, if you talk to other people, you know, they tell me stories from that time. I think I don't remember that at all. Mm. So <laughs> undoubtedly I'm leaving out chunks of it, but, um, but anyway, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I remember. And I, you know, it's not just that I'm telling you this for the sake of talking or because I'm thinking, Oh, well, you know, I'm on a roll. I might as well carry on. But because of this is also part of this whole quest for truth and, a, a spiritual development where you'll see now I start from complete point zero to the person I am now. And it's like, you know, it's a 180. It's a total, uh, a total change. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. So uh, the story is going to start when I finished school and that was in 2001. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I went straight away to Italy on an exchange student program for two or three months. Yeah. Um, which was kind of my first introduction to traveling and, you know, being in a place alone, foreign place, learning, countering foreign cu cultures. I stayed with a the family there. They were very nice, typical Italians screaming all the time and throwing things at each other. But, um, yeah. but yeah. Uh, it was, it was a nice experience. It was a bit overwhelming for sure, but it kind of gave me a taste for what was, what was, of what was possible. Um, 
And at the program, because you have to go through these sort of group programs and things of, uh, of this exchange student program, I met a girl whose name I'm going to change. I was all just because I don't want to change her. Um, and if she is listening, you know who you are. And I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> I wrote a book about this as well. And she was also not very happy about it because, again, I was quite sort of truthful about it. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, this was my perception of it. Maybe she's got a whole different story. But in any case, I met this girl. We're going to call her Jude. And she was the same age as me. She was finishing uh, school. Mm -hmm. And I was going to Italy on the two-month or three-month program, and she was going to Switzerland for a one-year program. Mm -hmm. And so we met, and we had time before these programs started, and we struck up a, a friendship. And at the time, I was really so full of myself and so idealistic about whatever, I don't know, philosophies. And, you know, I was a typical 18-year-old thinking that I knew everything about, about life. I had it all worked out. Mm. And when I met this girl, Jude, she was pretty much the same. And we kind of connected on that level and we just decided to be the most incredible, whatever, philosophers and uh, poets that had ever existed. And we started analyzing all sorts of things and, you know, criti critiquing, criticizing society and, uh, you know, our families and how they've raised us. And, you know, it should have been much more free and, you know, whatever. We really just got out of hand. Mm. And, um, and anyway, so she, she went off to, to um, go do her program in Switzerland. And I said to my dad, okay, well, you know what, I'm going to carry on traveling now. This is it. And for some reason, I was going to go to New York. I can't remember why, what I had in my mind. But he was like, no, no, please don't go that far. He said, you'll, you'll buy me a ticket and I'll go to London. Because mm. lots of you know, South Africans go to London. It's sort of a safer option. So I went off to London, still with these very... Uh, you know, romantic ideas of how I was going to travel and I'm so amazing. And I stayed in London only for, you know, about about a month or so. And I remember, I mean, that was more overwhelming to me than, than it had been in Italy because in Italy I actually had a family to welcome me and I was staying with the family. Now I was completely on my own. I mean, I remember the first time I got into the subway, the underground, and, um, and uh, I didn't know that you had to make connections. You know, I just thought you got on one train and it took you to where you needed to go. Yeah. <laughs> I was out there for a while and I was thinking, I'm going to North Kensington, but I see a sign that says South Kensington. So I suppose that can't be too far. <laughs> Walking yeah. around sweating with this huge backpack. Anyway, I yeah. got a taxi in place. And then I realized there's actually all sorts of different lines that you have to make connections for. Yeah. Um, and also remember thinking to myself, man, there are so many old people. You know, because in South Africa, we, we, I don't know, we hide them away somewhere. We just don't see a lot of old people. Yeah. And I remember thinking, wow, where are these old people from? <laughs> and there's also so many people, you know, I've never been in a place where there's just so many people around. Yeah. But a lot yeah. of this was sort of overwhelming stuff. But I mean, anyway, I found a little place to rent with a bunch of other people, Australians and New Zealanders. And stayed there for about a month. Mm. Again, had these ideas that I'm not going to get a job and, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of above doing some kind of work like that. So, you know, I must pursue my life of a poet and an artist and, you know, poets live on fresh air and whatever. Yeah. Uh, completely ridiculous. Yeah. And <laughs> you realize that later. Anyway, so I decided in any case, London wasn't for me because it was too modern or whatever. I don't know. So I thought, you know, I have these ideas of, you know, romantic sort of 19th century uh, Paris or early 20th century Paris yes. with all the artists and the cafes and whatever. I'm going to Paris. That's the place. So off I went to Paris. I got out the uh, out of off the train at the Gare du Nord 
And I got out there and there were just these neon lights everywhere of kebab shops and, I don't know, strip joints and things. And I thought, what the heck is this? Is this Paris? <laughs> I must have yeah. come to the wrong place again. Yeah. Anyway, then I found my way through and I got to like the nice sort of, you know, romantic parts of it. And I thought, oh, okay, this is more kind of like, you know, the Paris I had envisioned. Um, so I ended up staying there. First, I stayed at some really cheap little sort of uh, pension, like a bed and breakfast type of place, but a really scummy little place. And, um, you know, you could hear the rats creeping through the walls at night. Yeah. And uh, which, which I actually loved, you know, because I thought, yeah, this is a real deal now, you know. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> the scummy was like, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, it was still too expensive, though. So, you know, I couldn't... Uh, I couldn't carry on paying for my Turks and the rats. Yeah. So <laughs> I had to find another option. And while I was wandering around, I came across this English bookshop, which is right in the center of Paris, opposite mm -hmm. the, the river of uh, Notre Dame, the big cathedral. Mm -hmm. So I went into this bookshop. It's called Shakespeare and Company. And it's now it's become quite huh? famous, actually. It's a little, yeah. little bookshop. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, yeah, it's got a few flaws, but it's, it's narrow. You know, it's a small yeah. bookshop. And I mean, yeah. there's so many books crammed in there. It's like the walls are made of books. Anyway, so I was walking through there and there's these beds, you know, as a part of the shop, sort of, you know, in, in the shelves and, you know, just all over the place, there's these little beds. And, uh, and I asked somebody there, I said, what are these beds doing here? And they said, no, well, the thing that happens here is that uh, we all live here. You know, often we come traveling through and, you know, you go speak to the owner and if you have a good reason to stay, then uh, he might just let you stay here for a while. Yeah. So I thought, well, that's brilliant. You know, I mean, okay, it's not like you have, you know, a nice flushing toilet nearby and a shower and whatever, but at least it's free roof over your head. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, this is it, you know. And uh, off I went and I stayed in this, uh, I went and spoke to the guy, this grumpy old American guy, George, I think his name was, and he passed on now and his daughter's taken over it. And she's really cashed in on the whole romantic tourist side of it that, you know, yes. this used to be the place where people stayed. I think she kicked everyone out um, <laughs> because it was a, sort of became a hangout for hippies. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I asked him and uh, he said, yeah, okay, you can stay. And so I ended up staying in this little bookshop. What reason I I did you give? His... I said to him, I'm a poet and I've published. He said to me, have you had anything published? And I said, yes, actually, I'm in an anthology. And it was some kind of anthology from, you know, National Geographic type of whatever, you know, they just collect a bunch of people they found and then they publish it and say, would you like to buy it? <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. Um, so what it wasn't do you mean? I'm amazing, confused. Uh, is this for so real? I, or? Like I would, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would write all these poems and things, and then I would publish it on a uh, a website, you know, public web website where people share poems or something. And then okay. I got a I got a message from, but like a totally generic message from, uh, I think it was one of these societies, like National Geographic type of thing, not as prestigious as that, and uh, saying, you know, we're putting together an anthology of uh, poems that we found, and your poem has been selected, and. You know, if you would like to see it, you can pay for this and this and we'll send you the, the magazine or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, at the time cool. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but I never got it. I never bothered to pay for it. But, um, uh, okay. but anyway, I was quite tough. Yeah. And I told him that and he said, all right, well, that was a good enough reason to stay. So I ended up staying in this little crazy bookshop. I think I slept in the history section initially and maybe I moved on to another place. Um, and during that time there in Paris... I really started to develop my whole romantic journey thing. And I wore these funny outfits, you know, I had like 
boots, <laughs> these leather boots that went up to my knees. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like pirate <laughs> boots, basically, which I got from a theater that was sort of renting out costumes. And I, I took them and I never brought them back. I confess. And um, so I wore these leather boots and I had this this coat, which I called my Jolly Roger coat, where I'd actually sewn on my own um, trimmings on the edge. So it was like a black coat. And then I sewed these red trimmings along the edges so that it looked sort of more, I don't know, sort of more, whatever, 16th, 17th, 18th century. I really wanted to have an effect. And I wore all these funny little hats and things, you know. I mean, people must have thought, oh, my goodness. But I thought I was cool. And uh, and so I was traveling around with my backpack. I mean, I really was living out of my bag and uh, and also keeping contact with Kate because, uh, sorry, not Kate, Jude, <laughs> because, because I still, at the end of the day, wanted to go to see, yeah. <laughs> see Jude slash, you know. Yeah. <laughs> to go on this this uh, massive adventure that we were going to go on, you know, with our yeah. idealistic ambitions. And uh, she said to me, well, seeing as you're in Paris, I have a friend there who I've met some years ago. And she's, uh, I mean, she wasn't young. She was in her 50s. You know, this lady who was a, she was in the fashion world. And she uh, had this place in Paris, in the center of Paris, where they, uh, they were involved in design and fashion and I don't know what else. Yeah. So she said, why didn't you go meet her? She's a really nice lady. And I said, anyway, her name was Nell. And uh, I went and found the address. And uh, well, I found her, had a meeting with her, made a meeting with her. You know, can I come and see you? Yeah, yeah, sure, come by. Yeah. And, um, and I knocked on the door and she opened and she saw me and she just thought, oh, my goodness, this is going to be entertaining. <laughs> so, in your anyway, high black boots and your, your yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your red embroidered this guy. Yeah. Yeah, this ridiculous 18-year-old. So um so I marched off into her place, you know, and uh and she had this beautiful, I mean, like very modern, it had been like a it had been a glass blower's workshop, I think. Yeah, um, stunning. So it was just this very open uh space that had been uh, cemented, you know, the floor was cement, smooth cement, and um they'd kind of put in modern furniture or well not modern furniture but like some modern fittings like they their bedroom had these uh, folding doors that you could close it off otherwise it could be open to the rest of the house and the kitchen was modern but then they would have like an old persian rug and these sort yes. of rococo baroque uh, gold chairs there and it was like really eccentric and everything but you know it was my element i thought oh my goodness this is wonderful yeah anyway so they took a liking to me uh, nell and bob her husband bob american guy Nell was actually South African, but she'd been living in Europe for, for many years, traveling yeah. around since she was sort of in her 20s or whatever. She used to be mm. a model, so she was a beautiful lady, really good-looking lady, even in her older years. And um, and uh, so her and I really struck up a friendship. And while I was living in Paris for that small time, again, I don't know, a few months or whatever, we would see each other quite regularly and we would have dinners and drink lots of wine and chat and it was great. I mean, she she really became a sort of, you know, I wouldn't say a motherly figure. She wasn't exactly my mother. I don't think she really had that nature to herself, you know, but but she, she became a bit of a mentor in a sense and mm. uh, she encouraged me always to pursue 
these ridiculous dreams. She never said to me like, oh, come on, you know, when are you going to grow up and look how ridiculous you are? She thought it was wonderful. She said, yeah. go with it. You know, she just thought, carry on doing whatever you're doing because yeah. it's fantastic. Beautiful. Um, and it was good. It was good to have that person who, you know, who, who encouraged that. And, and not only that, but I could see that she was a successful person and she was also just as eccentric as I was. Yeah. So I thought, well, you know, if she's managed to do it somehow. And she always said to me, she said, don't think it's going to fall in your lap. I mean, you know, staying true to yourself and working, I mean, getting to what you want, there's a lot of work involved, you know, mm. except at the time I thought, yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not yeah. focusing on that part. But what, <laughs> were you, around and drink wine. what were you communicating to her back then that you wanted to become? Uh, yeah, you know, poet, painter. Okay. Sort of, I was on this bohemian quest to find yes. bohemia, you know, where there were all these sort of artistic people and, but not, you know, people who have tastes. Like everything must be beautiful and they must be tasteful and they must wear nice clothes. Like I mm. can't, you know, I don't want to be in some place where people are dressed in this tacky way and, you know, whatever. Yes. I mean, ridic ridiculous stuff. Um, but that's what I was after. And she, she, she was a part of that world, but she was also mature enough to say, well, you know, Justin, this isn't actually what the world is like. But yeah. you can find people, you know, who you'd be able to be friends with who, you know, want to have those things. And, and uh, and she was a part of that, you know. So, so I guess that's where I was at that time. And um, and I had this vision again of being a, an adventurer, a sort of poet adventurer. And uh, and she said, "Well, go travel, you know, to take whatever little money you have and and go on an adventure and uh, you know uh, keep a diary and make a thing out of it and give it to National Geographic then and you know <laughs> give yeah. it to some magazine or something and maybe they'll publish it. And you know, uh, it works. You know, you just have to be daring." She said, "Don't." Don't be bogged down by the thought of, you know, being being scared that that that's not going to work out. Yeah. She said, people who are confident and who make things appear that they work, they can make it work. And mm. I've seen that in my life. You know, I mean, I had an apprentice, uh, a very nice girl, Natalie, who has been painting with me. And I mean, if she's listening to this as well, I, I don't want you to take offense, Natalie, either, because she knows how it is. But Natalie's not confident. And she can paint really well. <laughs> I've taught her really well and she can paint. She's very capable, but she's not confident enough. I mean, now I'm not in South Africa. And I said, if somebody has a commission, why don't you just do it? You could do it. You could take over all my clients there if you wanted. Yes. But she's just not confident enough in herself to be able to do that. Yeah. And confidence goes a long way. Even if you don't know what you're doing, pretend you do. Yeah. <laughs> pretend you do and people will believe it and you'll learn yeah. along the way yeah to a certain extent i mean you know, yeah. i'm not saying go out and be a doctor and pretend you're a doctor you know? but no yeah. but it, it's it's absolutely it's it, anything to do absolutely anything that's scientific you need to do the science you got to get the the learning right but anything creative Anything yeah. creative, there's no, there's nothing holding you back. You just, it's, I love that. I, I, it's beautiful yeah. what you're saying. And it is so, so true. It's self-belief, yeah. uh, self-esteem. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. we, 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 I think sometimes we just have to, um, you know, even myself, like I'm a very confident person, grew up with three brothers, yeah. you know, um, you know, I, I, I'm, it has, I haven't had a simple, like easy life, like, um, yeah. but you know, sometimes you also go through dips and then you just have to say, you know, screw this. I have to choose to be confident, you know, because sometimes yeah, you just don't yeah. feel it, but you have to take it and own it. And even if you don't feel no, exactly. like it, yeah, exactly. You know, and I mean, when you get into, uh, having to deal with relationships, even, you know, love relationships and friendships and whatever, um, 
you know, if you're confident and you're, you're not, you know, sort of proud about it, but you're confident and you're at ease about yourself, it, it works wonders. I mean, you know, people say, oh, no, but this girl's only, you know, she's okay because she's pretty and, you know, that's why she gets the guys and whatever. But, you know, I've met some girls who don't look great. I mean, let's face it, physically they do not look great, but they are so beautiful and so attractive mm. because they just have this ease and confidence about them. And there's nothing more attractive than that. Yeah. You know, even if you have a beautiful girl who, who just doesn't have any confidence and is always saying, oh, but I'm this and I'm that. And, you know, nobody likes me. I mean, nobody, nobody likes that. You yeah. know, I mean, people yeah. will date you because you're good looking. But at the end of the day, that, that's not enough to to persist. You know, that's not enough for something to carry on with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. But so. but so, yeah. So. um So now here you were and obviously the um uh, what was the lady's name in, in Paris? No. Now, yeah. So, I mean, she she was instrumental, especially with you being 18. It's such an impressionable time yeah. of your life in, in just yes. really yeah. reinforcing that you must, because that's really the yeah. start of really believing in your dreams, right? And so she was yes. instrumental in that. Yeah. Yeah. And people think that she was a parent to me. She wasn't a parent to me. She wasn't a mother figure to me. You know, she was she was a, a friend. Mentor, like a mentor was, and a friend. Yes. Yes, exactly. A friend and a mentor and somebody who had gone down that road before me and was encouraging me and giving me the, the confidence to say, you can do it. Go ahead. Yeah. Only thing that's stopping you is you. Yeah. So, um, so go ahead. So, and, and a friendship, uh, we had a very deep friendship over the years and she's passed away now and I miss her so much. I miss wow, her. seriously, she's passed away? <laughs> yeah, shame. She passed away from a stroke and she was only about 64. Sure. And I mean, even now, as I speak about it, tears come to my eyes because we had such a close relationship at the end. And, and in the end, everybody thought we were sleeping together. I mean, <laughs> we weren't like that at all. Yeah. We were just really, really deep, close friends. And we could spend hours alone together chatting and chatting and sharing. And, and it was amazing because, you know, she, she was much older than me. She came mm -hmm. from a different background. I mean, she was Afrikaans. She was from Cape Town. And uh But we, we just connected, you know, we just had a very deep connection with each yeah. other. Yeah, um, so beautiful. Anyway, so, yeah, yeah, no, I'm just, uh, I, I would have so much to talk with her about now, you know. I wish we could share now, but anyway, that's the way life goes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so she said, go off on your journey, go do this journey and let's see what comes of it. Go see Kate, because at the end of the uh, Jude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say Kate because everybody's heard it now. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kate. Anyway, <laughs> so she yeah. said, go on your journey and go see Kate because Kate, uh, you know, Kate was originally in Nelspring. And so yeah. I went off to Switzerland and I visited Kate at her host parents who apparently didn't like her too much. And I mean, you know, as I got to know Kate more, I could understand why. Yeah. <laughs> It was very difficult. Yeah, yeah. And she grew up in a family who actually are fairly well known actually in Johannesburg and South Africa. Yeah. Um, and them I won't mention actually, but but they're not they're fairly public figures. Yeah. Anyway, so she and they they had very liberal ideas about raising children. And I don't think it worked out well for Kate actually. I think she grew up a lot on her own, which they thought was a good thing. But I think she kind of just missed You know, she she was very intelligent as well. So she could always pass school, and she was she was a she excelled. You know, she was a success. But I think she grew up kind of a little bit messed up because she didn't have a normal family relationship. I don't know normal mm. care. I'm I'm not sure exactly where you know how to say it, but 
anyway, as the story goes on, you'll see how our relationship developed. Anyway, so I went down to see her in Switzerland. And Switzerland, I mean, you always have this image of Switzerland in, in winter, you know, the Alps and the snow and the yeah. skiing and all that. In summer, it is beautiful. Yeah. I didn't expect that at all. It is beautiful. These green yeah. hills everywhere. And oh, it was lovely. It was just lovely. And yeah. um, we spent time together. And we said to each other that we were going to run away together. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's what was supposed to happen. She was supposed to just run away from this host family and we were going to go on our adventure. And uh, and that's what I thought, you know, I mean, I was, she was staying at her host family. She put me up with a friend of hers, but I mean, I could only stay with a friend for so long, you know, and, um, mm. and, uh, and then I said, okay, well, Kate, it's time, you know, let's, let's get this thing going, you know, pack up your stuff. And I mean, that's how, that's how we were at the time. Like I had no care for responsibilities. I had no care for other people. I had no care for, for things that I should have been caring about. You know, there, there was a certain structure that I should have had more respect for. And, um, you know, I didn't care who I hurt. I didn't care what the consequences were. I just wanted to do my thing. I wanted to go mm. follow my thing. So in the same breath that I'm saying it's good to be confident and go on things, it's also not good to be proud, you know, and not to kind of take consideration of the effects of your actions. Yeah. But um, so so anyway, I, I said to Kate Lyle, let's get going. And then she sort of very sheepishly eventually told me, listen, I just can't bring myself to do that, you know. I've, I've engaged in this program. I'm going to be letting down so many people. Uh, it's just not the right thing to do. Yeah. And, you know, to her credit, she was right. That's, that's true. Of course, I was very disappointed. And I said, well, fine. I'm going on the adventure alone. And when you're finished, we promised each other that after that year of her um, exchange program, we were going to go on it together. Yeah. And, you know, we were engaged in a, in a, I don't know, you know, I'd say a romantic relationship. I mean, we were dating each other, but somehow it never felt romantic in a way that you would imagine romance. You know, I think mm. we were more, we were more fascinated with each other's minds because Kate was very scientific. She was very mathematical, but creatively scientific, creatively mathematical. And I was much more on the art side. And mm. so together as a pair, we could also just chat about things and think about things. And she opened my mind up to a lot of different, a uh, uh, whole other world because, you know, like I said, my parents weren't, particularly, you know, idealistic in any kind of way, like, like uh, Kate's parents were, and they, they exposed her a lot of interesting thoughts and books. And yeah. you know, she was very educated in that way where I didn't grow up like that. And, um, and so she introduced me to that world and even the world of, you know, fine art and things, I really didn't know a lot. I mean, I knew mm -hmm. a little bit from what they taught us at school, but I mean, how much can you learn at Midrand High? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so for me, it was just a huge growing period. And, um, and that's why we were in a relationship that we were really fascinated with each other. Yeah. Um, and so I went off on my trip alone and I had this really grueling trip, which was part of my whole idea that it was going to be something amazing. But at the end of it, I was just stuffed. I mean, I actually, I think my whole, dream went collapsing down on myself and I realized how stupid it was, but I didn't really want to admit it and I persisted in it. But I did on this this trip where I basically traveled on the bones of my ass mm. to, I went through Italy from, uh, like I said, I can't remember all the details, but I think mm. I went from Switzerland down Italy, through yeah. Italy to Greece, mm. through Greece to Turkey, through Turkey a little bit into Bulgaria and then through Bulgaria, uh, horrible bus ride up into uh into italy again yeah and um and i mean initially i could stay you know once in a while 
bed and breakfast or a hostel or whatever. But most of the time I was sleeping outside. And of course, I wasn't telling my folks this. This was before the days of, you know, regular emailing. And yeah, I mean, we were exactly. still sharing letters once in a while, posting letters, and it actually mm. still worked. And, uh, and I mean, I, I think I must have had a phone at that time. But I mean, you know, this was before. You know, smartphones yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Then we get an SMS once in a while and all that. But um, but that's how I wanted it. And and I felt kind of suffocated that my family was still trying to be in contact with me and look after me, which is which is ridiculous because of course that's a good thing, right? But but I just wanted to be alone. I wanted to be away from everything. I wanted to be completely on my thing, you know, that I'd never yes. been able to do. So, yes. So it kind of frustrated me in a way. And my relationship with my dad in particular has always been a little bit peculiar because we're very different and and he wanted to protect me a lot but through his protection he also kind of wanted to control me a lot yeah and the more he tried to control me the more I pushed back and said well then you know then you can just get lost and the more you try to tell me to do something I'll do the opposite just on principle shame it's such and, a uh, hard you know I mean both of us being parents you know I mean you even see that now with your own kids you know how hard that is when you when you want to steer your kids in a direction or you just want them to freaking you know go poo in the potty and not on the freaking floor or like my son just two hours ago was weeing in the foosball machine because his two-year-old mind thinks actually this is a way cooler potty than the freaking potty itself i'm like jesus can you not just go to the potty why the foosball machine I know. I know. <laughs> you know and it's like no you know this is way cooler and and that's just on its simplicity of a two-year-old the mind just you know it gets more complicated yeah. but i mean it's, it's hard <laughs> yeah but but i i have i have so much more respect for my folks now <laughs> Sure. being a parent you you realize it, it humbles you my parents are probably saints actually <laughs> but especially when you're the rest of the story anyway okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so yeah i went on this grueling trip and and i was sleeping outdoors and i was i was hungry you know i learned i learned what hunger is and i learned what it is to be cold and and i i, I wanted it but then i realized as well that these things aren't glorious in themselves you know you read stories about them and they seem romantic but when you're in it, it's not actually that romantic, you know, <laughs> no. starving, <laughs> starving and being cold and sleeping out in the fields and under bridges and I don't know, on the side of the street and, you know, hiding in places where you think you're going to be safe and yeah. scared that somebody's going to come out and chop your head off. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't actually as pleasant as I thought it was going to be. And especially being alone, that probably had a lot to do with it as well. But then um, why did you keep doing it? Because you could have just got a ticket and gone home. No, I couldn't. I was just too proud. You know, I just, I just couldn't come with my tails between my legs. And, and not okay. just that, I kept telling myself, I, I had idolized this, this image of myself so, so much that I just couldn't bring, bring myself to admit, okay, well, maybe it was wrong and maybe you were wrong. Maybe you should just change the path, you know? But you, um, when you say, I mean, when you say you were too proud, what were you too proud of? I and mean, what were you trying to achieve? You were just traveling. It's not like you were, yeah, no. you know, on your on, on a mission to go find a golden egg. I mean, you, you were just no, no, traveling. So, yeah. No, no, no. I think when people travel, they go to see places and enjoy places. And, you know, they it, it's it's tourism, which is good. It's fine. But I wasn't, I, I prided myself on not being a tourist and that I was on the quest for Bohemia. You know, okay. I was going to find this amazing <laughs> place finding. with people like myself, which I wasn't finding anywhere. Yeah. And it was winter. You know, and 
things were closed <laughs> and yeah. things were cold and quiet and it just there wasn't you know i mean you go to greece in winter there's nothing happening no it's miserable it's <laughs> raining it's dark it's Horrible. the whole of europe's like that yeah no yeah, exactly and i mean um and so yeah i just started to lose heart more and more and get confused more and more because once again i couldn't make decisions and i couldn't admit things to myself and what and, what, uh, what what is it that you couldn't admit that perhaps I was wrong, that perhaps I should change the plan, you know, perhaps I should, uh, you know, just do what my dad is saying and go somewhere and get a job and, you know, see how things develop. And it, it, when you're young, everything seems so urgent, you know, mm. and, and everything seems so important and big and I can't spend time wasting my time something else because I've got to do this thing now. And if I don't mm. do it now, I'm going to lose it forever. You know, whereas when you look back, you think, well, what's three years? You know, I could have gone and studied for three years and it's a big deal you know? mm, yeah. <laughs> but at the time i didn't see it like that well look i don't know maybe that's just me but but that's how i felt and, okay um, so so there you were cold bridges no food starving um alone and then after bulgaria that will back you went back down to italy and then what happened yeah so i was in venice and then and then from venice i actually made my way back down to that host family i'd originally spent those two or three months with yeah when i first was an exchange student yes. i went down to them i think uh, you know to kind of regroup a bit and uh, and that's when i discovered things like ryanair and easyjet and things where you could fly around for yeah really cheap. yeah so, <laughs> i took a flight to, i took a flight back to to paris and um and yeah i mean i saw nell and i was like now it didn't really work <laughs> the way I had imagined. Yeah, know? yeah. And she said, okay, well, that's part of the story. You know, it's great. It's the chapter in the story. Anyway, so she said, um, well, you know, summer's coming. Why don't you come down to our chateau? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the chateau in the southwest of France. Come down and spend time at the chateau. You can stay for a few weeks there and it'll be lovely, you know, whatever. Anyway, they didn't have a chateau as such. It was, it used to be a chateau or some kind of a castle or something. And, and it had fallen into ruin and they'd bought that land. And then again, like the glassblowers workshop that they had in Paris, they had done it up in such a way that it was nice and it was livable. And it was far more rustic than what they had in Paris, but yeah. it was very, you know, very beautiful, very romantic yes. kind of thing. Yes. Did you ever see that movie Stealing Beauty? With yes, Tyler? long time ago, long time ago, long time ago. Kind of something like that. That was in Italy. This was the French version of it, more or okay. less. Okay. Yeah, like but that. I mean, I, I'm, a, I, I paint as well, and I've, I've even blown glass, and you saying glass blowing, and I've been in glass blowing um, okay. workshops, and so I, I can, I'm, I'm seeing it, and I love, I love also what you're yeah. saying. You know, I've also got, you know, people describe my home always as a little bit bohemian style. You know, um, <laughs> so you know, obviously your story is. Um, yeah, and you know, I, and I've lived in Amsterdam for so long, and um, and yeah. well, in Harlem in the later years, but um, yeah, yeah. So this all speaks uh, a, a very familiar yeah. tune to me. But it's, I mean, it's stunning. I, I love, you know, I love uh, seeing these pictures in my head. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and I mean, for me, it was amazing. All of these things, discovering all these things. I mean, like yeah. I said, I was exhausted. I travel, but I mean, hey, who doesn't want to go spend summer in a French chateau in southwest France? Exactly, yeah, especially after being <laughs> cold, lonely, freezing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, and, so you ended up in France, about southern France. Yeah, and, and and like I said, I'm I'm kind of putting this together because I don't remember if everything happened chronologically exactly yeah. like this, but 
whatever, for the sake of the story, that's where we were. And it was the time when Kate had finished her program. She had gone back to South Africa. She had prepared herself, whatever, and she was coming back and we were going to go on our long-awaited and glorified adventure. Yeah. And I had absolutely no appetite for it. I was not interested at all. Yeah. <laughs> that time had passed me now. I was, I'd realized kind of what it was and I was just too tired. I mean, it would have been different with Kate, but I just, it, I was too tired for it. You know, I just thought, sorry, Kate, I can't do this. Anyway, she came and she joined us at the Chateau and we spent this very arty-farty sort of uh, summer there together in whatever long it was, a few weeks together with Nell and Bob. And um, and it was great. I mean, we were fun. We were dressing up and you know drinking wine all the time. It yeah. it was a great sort of break and everything. But um, but yeah, Kate said, okay, well, it's time to go on our journey, you know. And we were gonna again do it like I had before because we had no money to, well, very little money to put together. So so it was again hitchhiking, hitchhiking, and you know sleeping outdoors and everything. And I mean, it's even worse when you're a girl doing that actually. <laughs> really. I mean, and her outfit, because we both had our ridiculous outfits, her outfit was like this 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 white dress with a belt with like a knife on the side. <laughs> what was Think that about for? These things. I have no idea. Cutting food <laughs> protection, I have no idea. Well, you're those people that, that go really like into back into the forest and pretend to be living in the 17th century. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. You know, you know when you go to these uh, Comic Con and you know people dress up and things. Yeah, yeah. I guess it was kind of like that, but trying to make it reality. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we had, and we had our little backpacks and whatever, and so whatever we just hitchhiked and we went through. Uh, again, I can't remember. We went to Spain. We went into uh, across France. We went to Germany. We we went into a whole bunch of places. I don't remember Belgium. We were in Holland. Mm. We were in. And um, and I was just getting more and more tired, and Kate and I were fighting more and more because because we just first of all I don't think we were actually good together at the end of the day. You know, we we were too intense together. She she took it too far with this whole whatever science thing, and I took it too far with the art, art thing. And we both used to philosophize about the the meaningless of life, life, and how everything is just what you make it. And um, there's mm. no actual order to anything. And, you know, we're the kings of our own destiny and this kind of thought, you know, which is yeah. quite common, actually. I mean, a lot of people think of the world that way. But we just took it to another level and came up with sort of conclusions like, well, if there's no meaning to life, then who cares what you do? And, uh, you know, ultimately, then pleasure should be the, the, the aim of life because, well, why else? Why else live then? You might as well live for pleasure, mm. which is not a good thing. You know, you... you you have to actually have some belief and you have to have some kind of rules and you have to have some kind of structure to live by mm. and, and seeking pleasure for itself is just not, you know, that's not what mankind is made for. Yeah. Um, anyway. So, so I think just being together with those ideas was just bad enough. And then just personality wise, I mean, we just, we were just fighting a lot, disagreeing about how we should go about things. Where should we travel to next? Um, Kate just always wanted to push and push. And I was just thinking, Kate, please, can we just stop? You know, I'm, I'm done with this whole thing. I didn't want to give up the idea of being some romantic poet, but I just, you know, I didn't want to carry on with the traveling the way we were doing it. And we didn't so, I mean, have money and, to and do it went, any other way. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. So, I mean, and, and the money that you were traveling with at that time, was that sort of being filtered into your pockets from your parents or did, was it still money saved or was it well, money still from an allowance or what was well, it? No, when I was, I think it was from 21, 
21st birthday or something. Because, I, again, I don't know how these years passed exactly. But mm. when I was 21, my dad gave me a, a gift of a certain amount of money. I can't okay. recall exactly. But it was enough that if I divided it out over two years or something, I could have 200 euros a month. Okay. Which which was pretty much peanuts, you know, for a whole month to live on 200 euros. But yeah. it was 200 euros I didn't have otherwise. And it was enough to, you know, buy some food and occasionally to put a roof over my head. And yeah. like I said, I didn't tell my parents I was living like this because I didn't want them to freak out. You know, yeah. I mean, now, now it's, you know, down the line. <laughs> I'm an established family man. They can hear the stories. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> but um, so anyway, I said to Kate, please, can we go back to South Africa? And, I, I, you know, for me, South Africa was almost like at the time when I left it, I was totally off it. You know, I thought South Africa doesn't have Bohemia. South Africa is so... You know, it's so, what's the word? I don't know. It, it, it's new. You know, it doesn't have any history. The people there are so, you know, uncultured, blah, blah, blah all these whatever things mm. I was thinking of. Oh, I must be mm. in Europe. I must be old, you know, old cultures and whatever. And um, and so I didn't really, when I was traveling, I was very anti-South Africa. But by this point, when I, I was completely stuffed, I said, okay, let's just go back to South Africa, you know, because I always, like I said, I always had a return ticket somehow. Uh, to go back for Christmas, and I said, "Please, let's just go. Let's just go back to South Africa. We carry on with our relationship there." And and she very angrily, she sort of just accepted and said, "Fine, let's just do what you do," you know, and kind of laid it on me like it was my fault that we'd completely ruined our dreams and whatever else. And our relationship just grew more and more like that. That it was abusive. That I kept on thinking I was the bad one and uh, I was the weak one. And she would even say things like me like that, like, look at you, you know, you're so soft and you're so weak and look at me, you know, I'm, I'm getting muscles and you're getting weaker and, you know, just mm. really abusive, toxic type of things, you know, and at the time you, you just suck things up because you don't know any better and you think, well, maybe this is a part of it. Maybe this is what mm. life is. Maybe this is how I should be living. Well, it's like what you and said in the, in the second episode of our conversation yes. that you become a you want to become like a, like a martyr or whatever to to the you 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 want to humble yourself by you know by bowing down to the abuse. You know, it kind of is like okay, well, maybe I meant to deal with this for some higher purpose, or you know, like you start and, and to yeah. Exactly. And, and you don't know better in any case. And, and especially when you, when you are in a relationship, you think, but, you know, what, what do I have aside from this person? You know, mm -hmm. I actually love this person at the end of the day. So it's better that I put up with the abuse than that I'm alone, you know, and yeah. lost. Because yes. that's the other thing. You start to identify yourself with that person. And without that person, you feel like you're not completely yourself. Whereas you're perfectly yourself without anybody. Yes. But that's not how you feel at the time. You know, you're so dependent, and that dependence is is part of what's what makes it uh, so so uh, dangerous. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so so we went back to South Africa again. Didn't have anywhere to go. Kate's parents wanted to charge her rent, so she ended up living with my folks at our house. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I look back and I'm thinking that's amazing that my parents actually just let us stay there like that and. We weren't working. We were kind of, you know, finding out what we're going to do. What's the path we're going to choose? They were very, very patient with us, um, which, which looking back now, I'm quite surprised that they were. So, so how nice many, us. how many months or years was this now since you left? Since I left uh, South uh, Africa. South Africa mm, must have been three years down the line uh, okay. or something like All that. All right. Yeah. Somewhere like that. Yeah. Um, 
And so we started living in the house, but we were fighting a lot. Um, uh, you know, my mom could see that I was unhappy. My dad is always a peacemaker. He's always trying to you know, make things happy and, you know, let's yeah. just you know, be uplifting for everybody and whatever. But my mom, she doesn't take any crap. So she was just seeing this whole thing and she was like, ah. Uh-uh. And, and Kate, you know, she would do annoying, weird things. Like she would go to the fridge and you know, she was absent-minded because her head was always in the cloud. So she would take out the juice, leave the fridge door open, leave the juice sitting out somewhere. And then walk off, you know, and go have a nap in the middle of the day without telling anybody or, you know what I mean? Just like completely living this, this uh, sort of antisocial and, and uh, inconsiderate lifestyle, mm. especially if you're staying at some other people's house, you know, yeah. you'd think that you would really be trying to, you know, please them and not step on anybody's toes. But that's not how Kate and I lived, lived of course. Yeah. And, um, you know, we would just spend hours up in this room together doing whatever we wanted. We wouldn't come out. It was just, you know, and I mean, I think at this point we were, again, pushing boundaries, social boundaries. I mean, I think I started wearing a skirt at some point because I thought, yeah, why not? You know, yeah. <laughs> if nothing has meaning, then I'm going to wear a skirt. Who cares? Yeah. And of course, my mom was in tears. My dad was like, okay, it's just a skirt. <laughs> <laughs> he said he's not on drugs or in jail. So, you know. Yeah. Is a skirt really so bad? <laughs> anyway, but I mean, I, I never felt completely comfortable with it. But, but in my mind, I thought it's justified. Why not? You know, what is culture? Why not push the social boundaries of what people think is okay? And, you know, that kind of real stupid nonsense. Yeah. Anyway, so the relationship grew worse and worse until eventually my mother said to me one day, and I can't go into the details because I don't remember exactly the details of how everything was so nasty and how it was so abusive. But I guess people who've been in a similar situation can understand how people can manipulate you. They can, I don't even know if she was consciously doing it, but it was her personality to be a kind of vampire that she would, she would feed off me, you know, and she would feed off my misery in a way to, to keep her going. It was just such a bad relationship, but of course, none of that's really conscious. It's just turning out that way. Yes. Um, and like I said, on top of it, being so proud and arrogant and thinking, you know, better than everybody else in the world just gets you in trouble. It really, it was, it was just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And eventually my mom came to me one night. She said, just, you're not happy. You know, can't you see it? You just, you're not happy. It's not good. This whole thing is not good. Mm. It has to change. It has to end. And, um, and the next day. I can't even remember if I had the guts to do it. Somebody, my dad, my mom, all of us together, I don't know, we spoke to Kate and said, it's time for you to hit the road. And it was the first time I ever saw Kate burst out crying. I think it was the first time I ever seen her properly cry because, you know, she was too strong for crying and crying is for wimps and whatever. Meanwhile, I mean, I'm such an emotional wreck. I'm crying all the time. (laughs) And, um, And it was the first time I saw her completely break down and bawl her eyes out. Mm. And I thought, yeah, maybe you're not so strong as you as you always think you are. And I think also she knew that without me, it was it was the same. That as much as I identified with her, she also identified with me. You know, we were very dependent on each other. Yeah. Anyway, so that was the end of that chapter. As I say, there's a lot more to say, but you know, I'm already been talking for an hour now. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I can see this is going on to five hours. Sorry. I mean, you must just tell me, like, move, move, move it on. You know. It's just I don't want to so, miss I mean, this, some of the important parts. The, yeah, but you see, obviously, and 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 I mean, what I'm, you know, what I'm I'm knowing and feeling, and also just from being a human being myself and going through life and and in and out of different friendships, relationships, etc. You know, it's it's the people that we meet along our path that have 
have these effects and influences that make us go left or right. And these people, while it doesn't work out, actually are in, end up being the most amazing people in our life, even though it didn't work out or even though it was yeah. uh, destructive or disruptive or, you know, because yeah. they end up, they show us the light. They, you know, you, and, you know, that's when you hear that expression, like be grateful for the people you've had in your life, you know, even if they are. Yeah the evil yeah. people in your life because yeah, they're the definitely. ones that taught you the it's biggest things part, you needed. Yeah. All part of that journey. And I mean, with Kate and I, it was a strange thing because we started off as complete atheists. I mean, we were, we were convinced and we had proven it scientifically and philosophically that there was no God and that, you know, everything spiritual just didn't exist. We're all just, you know, whatever yeah. atoms bouncing together. And, um, and at the end of our journey, we had both convinced ourselves that there must be something out there. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember exactly how we came to that conclusion, but there was this whole sort of mental development that was mm. happening with us at, at the time as well. Mm. Not that it really amounted to much back then, but I think it, in looking back now, it was a big step that I actually started to believe in something at that point. And mm. once you believe in something, that really starts to take you places because if you pursue it, I mean, you can also just believe something and then just leave it at that. But if you start to pursue it, pursue it you have to define it and you mm. need to know more about it and you need to embrace it more. Mm. Um, so, so that's where I was at that time. Broke up with Kate in South Africa. I had to think about, okay, well, what am I doing now? You know, am I going to study? Am I start to get a job? What am I doing here, actually? And I just, I couldn't bear to stay in South Africa again. And I've really have this love hate relationship with South Africa, because I mean, as you saw from the end of the story, all I wanted to do was stay in South Africa. But, but at the time, I still, I wasn't ready for it. So I thought, you know, I'm getting out of here. And my mom showed me something in. I can't remember a magazine or something where there was a place in Amsterdam. Uh, no, not in Amsterdam, in Holland somewhere. It was a flower <clears throat> factory uh, mm. making orchids. And they, it was again, had some like Christian association, which is just like, you know, I hate that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but in any case, the idea was that they paid for your ticket to get over there. And, um, and then you worked with them for like nine months or something in their factory. Like in kind yeah exactly that kind of a thing yeah, yeah. exactly like that you know? so i was like cool so you know i did the interview they kind of reluctantly accepted me i think because my cv wasn't exactly too appetizing mm. um but uh, they took me on board and off i went with a bunch of other young guys and they put us in this house which was also again you know you think you look at these things and you think how can people do this i mean the, the mattresses stank of piss and yeah. You know, when we got there, with the things weren't ready. We didn't have cutlery and, you know, uh, it, uh, but they were ready to put us in work the next day. That was fine, yeah. you know. So the bicycles to get us to work were ready and they knew the route and they told us, you've got to be here at this time. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so we started work in this factory. And again, you know, I don't know. I've, I began to feel like maybe I have a default because I couldn't, <laughs> I, can't, I can't bear work that I'm not enjoying. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> It's just terrible. I, you know, I'm talking here about like knuckling down and, you know, you have to make some sacrifices. Well, trust me, at that time, I could not. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, but this is horrible, this work in this horrid factory. You know, they only have these desperate people here, these poor Polish women and, you know, yeah. South African guys who are desperate to get out of the country working for you because nobody wants to do this work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so... I spoke to my dad or I think I took money out of that money I still had. And I was like, give me that money. I'm paying these people back and I'm off on my own. I'm not carrying on with this nonsense. Yeah. So, And I mean, a part of me still had this idea of my adventure, you know, my poetry and whatever else. 
the, the romantic artist. And, yeah. Um, I thought, okay, let's resume it. We just got to change the battle plan a little bit. Maybe you took it too far with, you know, your Jolly Roger coat and your boots and everything. Let's bring it down a notch, go a little bit more into reality and be still bohemian, but like, you know, contemporary. Don't try and live back in the 19th century. You know, yeah. that's, that's done. Yeah. Let's just be a bohemian in, in today's world. So I thought, okay, cool. So I thought, where am I going to go? Amsterdam. That's where I'm going to go. I'm going to go live in Amsterdam because Amsterdam is a cool place. So... <laughs> I, uh, I packed up my things and off I went to Amsterdam and I kind of just walked around from place to place, from bar to bar asking for work. Yeah. Um, you know, do you have a job for me? And, um, and I came across this place called the Doors, the Doors Cafe, mm-hmm. which was also sort of in the center more or less and um, well, close to the, close to the train station. And, um, and uh, they said, yeah, sure. I said, we got some work. We need a barman. This guy's leaving. So, you know, you can take over. Come mm-hmm. the next day. And uh, I was like, great. Yeah, I'm living in Amsterdam and I'm going to be working in a coffee shop. Because it was a coffee shop, actually. Yeah. yeah. There was a coffee shop that served booze because back then you could actually serve them together. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so I started working in this, this coffee shop and I thought it was so cool. Like, again, I was still wearing like little waistcoats and, you know, trying to be like the little cool guy. I don't know what. And in that coffee shop, they just dismantled me. I mean, they tore me to pieces because Dutch people can be pretty rough as you know, they, yeah. they can be pretty frank. And, um, and I mean, on top of it, this was like a rough neighborhood and, you know, like the, the tourists who came through were fine. They were like furniture. they just, you know, they just sit there and you just have to sort of satisfy them and off they go again. But the, yeah. but the, the locals who come regularly, they were trouble, you know, because they had particular ways about them and you had to satisfy them. And, and if you didn't do it, then they would just criticize you and make fun of you. And, you know, I, I, I stuck with the job because I was having fun. And also I felt like, okay, well, you have to stick with some job at least. And, and yeah. this is a pretty cool job, actually. You know, I was working nights, which wasn't so great. But, I mean, who doesn't want to work in a cool bar that turns into a nightclub practically at night? And, I mean, every mm-hmm. night was like a party. You know, people were dancing on the bar and we were setting things alight. And like, and you're the barman. And somehow when you stand behind that bar, you become instantly 10 times more attractive than you actually are. Yeah. <laughs> Girls are just falling over you. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, you're like, you know pouring beers and throwing bottles around and it was just so much fun it was just so much fun and um and i could put up to a certain extent with these guys ripping me off for who i was and you know that because i was totally different i mean i was this poet artist whatever and these people were just like really gritty you know construction workers and people who'd grown up on the wrong side of the tracks and you know like yeah. that kind of a thing so they didn't have time for my little fantasy world um, I mean, I remember one guy even brought me a pair of socks, like secret socks, because he said the, the socks you're wearing are so lame. Like, if you're going to wear shoes that show your ankle, you've got to wear these socks. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, they don't realize how ridiculous it is. But but um, in the end, aside from probably burning the candle at both ends, um, you know, just I don't know how long you can keep up partying. You know? But yeah. um, after after about... I don't know, less than a year, but somewhere around there after a winter and a summer, because I know it snowed in the winter and I remember being stinking hot in summer. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, so after that for a while and after the, the, um, the kind of abuse that I was getting from these people, again, abuse, but it's not, you can't call it abuse as it is. 
um, you know, like like it was with Kate or something. But it was just actually being in a normal world environment. And let's face it, when you're in the world, you're going to get humbled. You're going to get crushed to, to some yeah. extent because that's yeah. just reality. And yeah. it was just, it was kind of hard to bear for me, maybe because I was so arrogant and proud, but also because these guys were pretty rough. And um, and I started to feel less and less inclined to be there and to deal with these people. You know, I really felt like I was carrying the world on my shoulders in the end. Yeah. And what what I found was funny is that when I speak to people from this time, they were like, yeah, but I mean, you being so religious. And I was like, what is that religious? I don't remember being religious, but mm. I mean, maybe compared to them, I came across as really religious. But I mean, I remember I found a rosary um, at some secondhand market there. And I used to have it with me all the time. And and I guess I started at that point to try and, like I said, define more of this spirituality, define God, you know, seek God out somehow. And I guess maybe at the end of the day, I was drawn to Christianity because as, as insipid as the version um, was that I was introduced to as a kid, maybe somehow it did have some kind of influence down the line and maybe it was mm. just all I knew. So I guess I did start on that path somehow. Mm. And um and anyway, you know, so whatever, that was, that was, I just want to mention that because apparently that was part of my personality at the time. Yeah. Um, and so at that time, before I left, not too long before I left, but before I left, I met this Polish girl, Agata. And um, Agata, oh man, that's a long, no, sorry, whenever I say long story, you're probably thinking, oh my goodness, no, please cut it short. It's a long story because it happened over years, but I'll, I'll just give you the details. I'm not going to yeah. go into you know too much stuff but but anyway i met her she used to come these polish girls come to amsterdam and they work in bars and restaurants and whatever yes. over the summer and they make money and then they go back and she was one of these girls that used to come into our bar at night and hang out and um i met her and uh you know started having a relationship with her i remember i could kind of didn't know how to make an impression on her and i I went into, I knew where they were staying. They were all sort of renting this apartment together and on top of a restaurant. And the guy at the restaurant sort of had seen me come there sometimes. And I came there one day when none of them were there. And he said, okay, you know, he let me in because I said, let me in there. And I had all these flowers. I spent 50 euros on, on roses and carnations. Yeah. And I went inside this apartment and I put them all over the place. And, yeah. and everybody knew who it was for when they got home. And that was the first time her and I sort of started dating, dating. each other. And um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and we had a nice relationship, and uh, and but I still I didn't want to stay in Amsterdam. The funny thing was that she was actually going to go to Spain the next year to study. She was doing a whatever one of these programs where you study overseas, but she was going to be in the north of Spain. And I had mm. already decided that I wanted to go to the south of Spain to Granada, yeah. where yes. I mentioned before, where the caves were and everything. And she was like, "Come on, you know, we got to change our plans. We got to stay together." And I was sort of. I don't know, maybe it was still about being so proud of being a barman and thinking, ah, oh, chick, like, it's nice to date you, but let's face it, like, I could get any girl I want at the end of the day. Something maybe along those lines. But I was like, yeah, okay, let's see how it goes. So yeah. I went off to the south. She went off to the north. And, um, and you know, I started getting lonely. I started getting really lonely, and I thought, you're an idiot. That's a beautiful girl, actually, and she loves you. So why are you living alone here in, in Granada, as great as it is, and you're having a lot of fun. And I mean, Granada's all the thing. It was it was also a very good period. And um, and I thought, let's just go go find this girl. You know, and so I got hold of her and I said, listen, Easter's coming up, Easter holidays. I'm going to come up there and we can spend time together. Mm. And she just said to me, don't bother. I've met somebody else. Yeah. I was like, no, how could she have met somebody else? That's ridiculous. 
you know, she's only been there for so long in, in any way. So I thought it's just in her head. I'm going to go up there, even uninvited. I've got her address. I'm just going to go up there and, you know, I'll be there and she'll, she'll realize the mistake she's made. So, so I got onto the, into a train. I missed the trains that Madrid, so I had to spend the night again sitting outside. Oh, it's a horrible train station. But so when, when were you staying in the caves then? This was, uh, I'm not sure if this was just before I moved into the cave. I think I moved into the cave just after this episode. Okay. Um, because first I was renting an apartment. I had quite a bit of money from saving up in Amsterdam. Because yeah. there I actually got a salary. And um, so I was using that money at the time and I could actually yeah. afford to an apartment with this crazy yeah. spanish girl okay and, so now um, listen just listen to me now so okay. um so i'm i'm gonna have to so this is like <laughs> i don't know what it is about the story and about uh like i don't know and and you're my first interview in southern it, this is like all weird for me right i'm just kind of rolling with whatever we're rolling with now and i'm thinking yeah. screw it let's just do another episode <laughs> I'm wondering now when freaking India is coming in. We haven't even gone into India. <laughs> no, okay. Well, let me. I'll tell you. I'll tell you how far we are down the line. We're about two thirds down the line, so it's not too bad. And I'm on my way back home. I'm on my favorite ditty, swinging like Natalie Cole. for part three of Justin's life story. See you guys next week for the final uh, episode, uh, part four of Justin Finn's life story. Justin, um, you make me laugh. Love your story. Um, so many parts in the story. Crack me up. Um, but yeah, it's just been such an honor to to be a part of your life for, for this, you know, time frame and, and to bring your beautiful life story to you know, to the public and to the listeners and, you know, just, yeah, thanks for, for letting me in and for letting everyone else who's listening in on your amazing um, and fun life journey. So guys, yeah, see you next week. Go subscribe on the website, inspirationalinterviews.com. Find me on Instagram as well. You can search inspirational interviews. You'll find me there. Share the show on with friends and see you guys next week. As I always say, See you on the flip side. Places closer than mine. Why don't we go there and have some more wine? Cause life is for life.